Thank you very much, Dave. Appreciate it a lot. Um, appreciate all you folks and the fact that you got here today. Thank you for being here today. You maybe heard the old story about the uh, country church where um, the pastor got there early and it was coming down so bad outside that he wondered whether anybody would show up, but one farmer showed up for the service. And he kind of wondered what he was going to do, but he decided he'd, um, he'd do the service and he'd preach that sermon and uh, he'd already prepared it and he got so into this message that it just went on and on and on and on and on. And um, as he closed the service and went to the back door, uh, he said to the farmer, what did you think this morning? And the farmer says, well, I'll tell you this. If one cow shows up, I don't dump the whole load. Well, this is a special message this morning, and I kind of feel like I'm dumping the whole load. But I'm glad that you're here for this message. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 3? This morning, as we in anticipate a new year, we're going to talk about closeness with God. There's no more important personal quest in 2020 than to be close and to stay close with God. Now, the original title of this message was going to be, It's About Intimacy. But I thought that might send you on some mental uh, side trips. So uh, this morning, the title is Intimacy with God, Revelation 3.20. And let me just give you a quick peek at where the messages are going in the early weeks of this next year. Next Sunday, we're going to start a series of messages in the early chapters of Revelation, Revelation 1, 2, and 3, the letters Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We want to ask the question in these next two months, what would Jesus have to say to Lakewood Church? You know, I am so enjoying serving you at Lakewood, but it's not my opinion that matters. And you know, people have opinions about churches um, other people have opinions about Lakewood Church. You have opinions about other local churches. But it's Jesus' opinion of us that matters. And studying how Jesus evaluates those seven churches in Revelation 1 through 3 is going to help us get a sense of how Jesus would evaluate us and what he would say to us because it's his opinion that matters. So I hope you'll be here through January and February. Now take your Bibles in hand and take your pencil and sermon note sheet, and before we study together, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that through this precious book that we hold in our hands, you speak to our lives. And we ask you this morning, Lord, to speak personally to us. I pray that we would not just look at the, page, the, the words on the page but that we would feel the word impacting our hearts. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Amen. Have you ever had this happen in your life? You want a deeper relationship with someone, but they just wouldn't go there with you? So he came into my office with a very troubled look on his face, and he plopped down in a chair and asked, why can't I get her to love me? I've tried it all. I brought her flowers. I've given her gifts. I've 
taken up her hobbies. Uh, I've uh, reorganized my schedule so I can be where she is. I love her so much. Why can't I get her to love me? And I answered him, because she thinks you're stalking her. That's why you can't get her to love you. But I have heard those same words from wives whose husbands have fallen out of love with them. I've heard teenagers who have an eye for that special guy or girl. I've heard those words from young women and men who are striving to please an unpleasable parent. I've heard it from parents who just can't break through to their kids. I've heard it from singles who are taken and almost obsessed with someone who is just not interested in them. You want them to take the relationship to a deeper place, but they just won't cooperate. And they're polite, and they're kind, but they're distant. My first experience of that is just seared into my memory. Her name was Bev Griffey. And I was maybe a ninth grader. In fact, I'm sure I was a ninth grader because she was a tenth grader. And she was so pretty and so nice. And I was so interested in her. I offered her a stick of gum and she took it. Wow, my heart started beating faster. I took one too, and we were chewing together, and this was so good. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, Steve, you chew like a cow. And she turned and walked off with the high school girls, and I knew that this was just never going to work. Have you ever been there? Maybe it was with your parents. You really wanted a relationship to go deeper. Or a friend, you wanted a deeper friendship, but they don't. Isn't that frustrating? Because there's nothing you can do to force someone to love you. You've been open, you've shared your heart, you've been transparent and vulnerable, and, and there's no question you enjoy being with them, but for whatever reason, they're not picking up on it, and they just won't go to that deeper place. And you know what? Believe it or not, all through the Bible, especially in the New Testament, God is shown as someone who with all his heart desires a deep relationship with the ones he has created. But over and over again, those he loves stiff arm him and maybe politely Maybe formally and respectfully, the people God loves refuse to go to that level of intimacy that God so longs for us to have. You see it right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. You see creator God who once had a closeness with Adam and Eve, searching through the garden, calling their names, Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve have lost their innocence and lost their security and lost that sweet relationship they had with God because of a willful choice to do what God had said don't do. And still God calls out longing for that closeness to be restored. James 4.8 shows us a picture of God who so wants closeness with us. He promises that if we will draw up close to him, he will draw up close to us. 
The book of Hosea in the Old Testament, along with Jeremiah too, shows God like a faithful husband reaching out time and time again to Israel, a bride who will never be faithful to him, and still he yearns for the one he loves. Luke 15, that's probably everybody's favorite Bible story. It shows God as a father who wants a relationship with his child, but the prodigal says, I'm going to do my own thing, and we see the father waiting and waiting and waiting. He never gives up till his son comes home. You see it from the front cover to the back cover of the Bible where it says your heavenly father desires a deep, intense, intimate relationship with you. Not just casual friends, not just respectful, not just for the holidays when you come to church and sit in a pew and endure a sermon. God wants a relationship with you that is characterized by intimacy and closeness. But listen, God will not make you love him. Could God, if he wanted to, snap his fingers and change your heart and make you love him? Well, sure, he's God. But that kind of love is not love. Love to be loved involves a choice and a desire and a willingness. He will not force you to love him. He so wants you to respond to his love. Revelation 3.20, if you're there, we'll come back to these verses in uh, a few weeks. Last book of the Bible, chapter 3, in the first three chapters of this book, John the Apostle has this vision of Jesus who has a message for each of the churches in what is now Western Turkey. They were real churches in real places with real problems, and to the church in Laodicea, Jesus is really warning that you can be religious, very religious, and still be keeping God. God at arm's length, respectful, but distant, and it grieves God, but he will not force you. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. God says, I know you, I watch you, and you're proper and polite. You're okay, but not great. You believe, but you're not hot, not cold, not hot. I wish you were either one or the other, Jesus says, either passionately in love with me or that you'd abandon me altogether. I could deal with that. So Jesus says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Do you see that? God is saying, this makes me ill. God says, I can do something with people who are passionate for me. I, I can deal with people who are opposed to me. But you, First Church Laodicea, you're lukewarm. You're passive rather than passionate. You're involved 
but we're not intimate. This is not what I have for you. Verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and need nothing. You think that because you're comfortable and things are going well, that you are where you need to be, but look, Laodicea, you do not realize, he says, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You church people in Laodicea, you think things are okay. But things are not what you think they are. I know you're busy and involved. I know you've got a lot going on. You're you're good church people, very religious. But look at verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Can you get that picture? This was written to church people. Church people who are involved and busy doing the good church things. But Jesus says, I'm on the outside looking in. I stand at the door and knock outside my own church because while the church is involved and busy, there's no intimacy with him. Aren't you God, Jesus? Why don't you just blow the door down and burst in? No, I stand at the door and I knock. Can you get that? God is saying, with all my power, with all my authority, all my sovereignty, there is one thing I will not do. I will not force my way in. I so desire you to love me. I could force you to obey me. I could make you fear me. I could threaten and scare you and deprive you I could bless you and help you, but I will not force you to love me. That's our Lord, yearning and longing, so in love with us, wanting our love in return, but he won't force us because that would not be love. He's sometimes on the outside looking into his own church, waiting for church people to let him in. I want in. It's a relationship that only you can say yes to. Let me in to love you. God has this intense desire to love you and be loved by you, to be close, but mostly we settle for something less. And that's true of most Christianity. And it's true of all the other religions of the world. Instead of a relationship of intimacy with God, we have substituted Religion, religion instead of relationship. You see, religion is a response that treats God respectfully but not relationally, courteously but casually, with deference but with distance. Many of us have done that, and in our hearts, honestly, we know the emptiness of all that can be. Some of you were raised in very ritualized religion where it was all about doing the right thing. Go to church, do the sacraments. You know when to stand, when to sit, when to kneel, when to say our fa- the Our Father, when to recite the creed. Now, I was raised in evangelical churches, Swedish Baptists or Kisling Cousins to the free church. But, but for us, it was the same, only different. Empty performance. Empty religion. Our do the right things was 
all about being in church whenever the doors were open. Go to church Sunday morning, Sunday school and worship, and then go Sunday evening, and then Wednesday night we were there. It was performance-based. Measure up Christianity, read your Bible, prayers at mealtimes, prayers at bedtime, show up for church work days, be a leader in Sunday school, serve whenever you're asked, do the right thing, measure up. And we all did the right stuff but it missed our hearts. Because you could do all that and still be lonesome for God. And we treat God respectfully, but never deal with him relationally. That can happen in any brand of religion. That's why Psalm 51, David said, and write this down, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me, uphold me with a willing spirit. And then in a moment of crystal clarity, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And that's why in Joel 2.13, write that down, Joel 2.13, God says, return to me, come back to me, tear your hearts, not your garments, do the tender thing, not the ritual thing. He wants relationship. And mostly what we do is give him religion. We perform. We carry out the formula. We do what it takes to salve our consciences and satisfy the pastor. But listen, what's your heart longs for what it really longs for is what God's heart longs for. It's intimacy and closeness and tenderness with the one who made you and loves you. He even went to the cross so to make it possible for sinners like us to draw up close and know the warmth of a perfect God, our heavenly Abba, Daddy God. Performance religion is simply a poor substitute for the real thing. You see, the core of genuine Christianity is loving God and living in his intimate love for you. Listen to me. Intimacy with God is not good works as if we could impress the perfect one. It's not moral uprightness as if we could ever be holy enough to attract his attention. It's not Bible knowledge as if knowing enough Bible could save you. It's not even theological correctness. That too can be performance religion. You can know and believe all the right stuff and still not know or love God. As important as that is, correct doctrine will not save you. And let me show you how far from God performance religion can lead you. And I bet I had read this passage a hundred times or more and never really understood it until perhaps in these recent years. Here's Jesus warning his followers about 
religious people, warning them about proper religious people. John 16, 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about religious people. You wonder why so many ugly things have been done in the name of religion? Well, here it is. This is where empty religion leads. You stay religious long enough, you keep God's God at arm's length long enough, you become so you will become so confused and so wrong focused that you will protect religion against those who are genuinely close to God. I used to look at those verses and go, "What?" But listen, listen to the stories coming out of the Middle East today. Or if you get the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter, just this weekend, the news documented that ISIS uh, members in Nigeria beheaded 11 Christians on Christmas. People are protecting their religion by killing others who have come to tell them God loves them. Tell them how to know him and live with him. And there are sad chapters of history where Christians too killed those of a different brand to protect their form of religion. It's happened just recently in those disputed regions of Ukraine. If you're not Russian Orthodox in the Donbass region, you're in big trouble. They grabbed hold of a Baptist pastor about a year ago and they accused him of being a spy and he said, I'm not a spy, I'm a Baptist pastor. And they said, that's worse before they shot him. You see that? They have not known me. They may know about me, There's a form of religion that they think appeases or pleases God. Show up on the right day, stand up, sit down, uh, kneel in a row, recite the scriptures, light candles. But they have not known me. There's no relationship there. Lots of busy activity, respect, and distant admiration. But they don't know me. You see, God is a stranger in religion. Someone we know about, not someone we know. But in religion, we perform to get his attention and earn his favor. We perform, or at least think we can, to earn eternal life. And listen, the more we perform, the more it becomes about the performance. The more we do the deal, the more it becomes about the duty. And it's all about doing the stuff. Or as many have done in our day, seeing the emptiness of all that performance stuff, Christian or otherwise, They just simply dump it all together. Do you wonder why so many people in this very religious part of America, a church on practically every corner, people who were raised in the church now have no time for the church? 
Does that confuse you like it confuses me? Why to them church is just irrelevant? Well, listen. They've gone looking for a genuine, real relationship with God and been handed religion. And there's no reality of God. And many have just plain dumped it. And how tragic that is when God is waiting to give us the very thing the human heart is yearning to find. But in performance religion, they've not been finding, and so they give up hope. Listen, it's not about casually, politely, respectfully, dutifully performing for God. The real question is, are you connecting with him? Are you enjoying him? Are you loving him? If liturgy and ritual are helpful for you to focus on the Lord and connect with God, do that. But the moment those get in the way of your relationship with God, dump them, chuck them. If church is helpful for you to find a deeper relationship with God, be here, do that. But the moment it gets in the way, do something else so that you can focus again on Jesus and express your yearning and your hunger and your love for him. You don't need to be a stranger to God's love. He's standing at the door knocking. In all of the sweet things of life, he's knocking. In all of the hard things of life, he's knocking. In all of the challenges and confusions of life, he's knocking and waiting for us to open the door and let him in. And that's why when we talk about worship, it's not about say this, do that, sit there, follow the routine. Worship is about what happens in the heart of the people in the seats. Worship is about you responding with a heart of open devotion, saying, God, I love you. I want to live for you every moment of my life. I want to have intimate fellowship with you. Worship is about connecting with God, experiencing him, loving him back, singing from the depths of your heart how wonderful he is and how sweet it is to know him. It's my hope that Lakewood Evangelical Free Church will be all about connecting with and loving God. We're not going to be on some religious quest to check all the right boxes and do the right stuff to impress God. We want to help you in your personal, passionate pursuit to connect with him and know him and, and love him. What does intimacy involve? What does it look like? Well, first, a response to the invitation. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Have you noticed the old paintings of this verse, the garden door? Have you noticed that that door shows no knob on the outside of that door? It can only be opened from the inside. Will you open the door and say yes to his call? If you've never done that, opened up your life, he's waiting. I got several more points. I wish I could preach on all of these this morning. Intimacy involves spending time. It involves honesty, being transparent. We'll talk about that one in just a few weeks. 
It involves mutual submission. He's given himself to you. Will you give yourself to him? And an intense involvement with the rest of those who love Jesus. Harriet and I are just so blessed to have our grandkids, Jack and Audrey. Jack's a high schooler today. But when he was little, he could absolutely steal your heart. And at four years old, he was an amazing manipulator. Grandpa, can you take me to get ice cream? Grandpa, can I watch a movie before I go to nursery school? No, Jack, that's not going to happen. What a conniver. But I tell you what used to just light up my heart. It was when he would say, Grandpa, will you come and just lay in my little bed and cuddle with me a while and read me a story so that I can go to sleep? I just loved that. Couldn't get enough of that, that time when there's no agenda except just being close. I really miss that today now that he's in high school. But, oh, that used to really thrill my heart. Did I know when he was manipulating me? Did I know when he was using me just to get what his little heart desires? Sure, I know the difference. And don't you think your heavenly father knows when you're playing him, when you're manipulating him and using him, when it's all about what you want from God? Sure, he knows that. Does he resent that? Does he resent you for that? He can't think that way. But what he really wants is for you to cuddle up close and to whisper, I love you, Lord, and I'm so glad that I'm your child. And friends, uh, that's not only the highest moment of our worship, it's exactly the kind of simplicity that God is after in his relationship with you. It's not about performance. It's not about you measuring up as if you could anyway. It's the Lord who says, here I am. I stand at the door of your life and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. By the way, in Jesus' day, the only people you ate with were people you were close to, those you accepted and valued and loved. Did you know that this verse could be wonderfully applied to starting a relationship with God? Open the door. But I hope you noticed it's really written to Christians, those who claim to know the Lord. Open the door. I want to be close to you. God, forgive us when we get things upside down. Forgive us when we get church in the way of what church is supposed to do. Church is supposed to help us in finding our relationship with you, and sometimes we make it about church. Forgive us, God, when we get it upside down. Bible study it's supposed to help us be close to you and hear you and feel you and sense you. 
And sometimes we make it about the Bible study. Forgive us for when we get it upside down. Our theology is to help us to understand you so that we can connect with you and relate to you. And sometimes we make it about the theology. Forgive us. What we want, what we hunger for, is that closeness that you want with us. So today, Lord, the best we know how, the best we can say it and feel it, we open our lives to you. You stand at the door knocking. We're opening the door. Come in. Relate to us. Love us. Fellowship with us. It'll be a good time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.